millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Please take your seats quickly, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to The Passing Shot with Joel and Kim, supported by DownloadTennis.com. On today's Tour Catch-Up. Muguruza and Bedosa are set for an all-Spanish semi in Guadalajara. Sinner is on standby for Berrettini in Turin. And Alcaraz ends the year with the next-gen crown. Kim, we are in the thick of it. The WTA finals is heading to the semi-finals stage. The ATP finals has just got started. So we have got a lot of top quality tennis to talk about across the world, really, including the events in Stockholm and Linz on the the final events on the ATP and WTA tours. We've also got to talk about the Peng Shui controversy, the news coming out at the moment, all of the uh, situation, the context between China and the WTA. So even though we're again at the end of the season, once again, we've got so much tennis to talk about. And where better to start, where no better to start than Guadalajara in Mexico, which I thought, you know, I wasn't really expecting a lot from this. You know, it felt like a last sort of a last minute decision to to change it to Mexico. And actually, it's, it's turned out to be a pretty fun event so far. It has. Yeah, especially the night sessions. The crowd are loving it. Mm. And um, I think, you know, it's a strong case to to keep it at, uh you know, know over it in mexico and guadalajara and i think you know the two spanish uh, spanish players are, are you know doing very well both in semi-finals perhaps it's the you know the whole like hispanic culture there they're loving being out in mexico perhaps that's you know boosting their chances as well um but yeah it's been really good so far actually and we have had some kind of topsy-turvy results though um we were both saying weren't we last week that it's quite a hard one to predict because I think everyone's coming in with different levels of form. Um, to some extent, it's it's kind of gone to form uh, with with Contivate qualifying through to the semis, but um, and and Bedosa, you know, both recently done very well on tour. But um, yeah, we're, we're sort of not quite got the semi final lineup um, sorted. We're still waiting on. Uh, Maria Sakkari or Arena Sabalenka to become that fourth uh, person in the semi-finals, but that is kind of underway today, uh, almost as we're recording. So that will be, um, you know, we'll have to catch up fully next week on this one, <laughs> won't we, Joel? I know it's uh, yeah, we're getting we've, we know three of our our semi-finalists, and you know it's been quite it's been quite interesting because you know we we've the the two form players in, in Contivate and uh, Bedosa, they were the last to qualify for the WTA finals, but they were the first into the semifinals. I think both of them also did not drop a set uh, to qualify for the semifinals. And actually we've seen the more higher ranked players kind of struggle. And, you know, although Sabalenka is still in with a shout to get to the semis, I mean, her first match, there was like considerable rust, I think, um, on show. And, you know, she really had to kind of pull it out the bag, I think, in her second match against, um, against, I think it was, uh, Sviontek where she won, uh, 7-5 in the third to, to really, yeah, I think announce herself. But certainly it's taken, I think, a few of the players a bit longer 
to kind of get into you know to kind of get into it i mean let's just kind of look at them group by group um and we do have one group finished which was the contivate mugurutha plushkova and, and krachikova group now we we said that contivate went through she won both her ma- both her first two matches with minimal fuss um i think they were both in straight sets and then we had yeah plushkova Krachikova and Muguruza all sort of battling out for that second position. And we had some very interesting matches. I've been watching, watched some of them on on highlights. The uh, I don't think that the time difference has not been great for for UK watchers. But let's just talk about kind of Muguruza versus Contivate because that was a match that happened like a, what a month ago, I think, in Russia, and Contivate won it like six one six one. Muguruza really needed to to win that um, to have. You know, well, to confirm her place in the semis, she did so six four six four, snapped uh, the Estonians twelve match winning streak. So, you know, I think she was really, really happy about that because she lost a very tight one against Plushkova in the first match. It was literally one point either way in the final set tiebreak. So, I think she will be very, very happy with how that's turned out. Yeah, she's played a fair amount of tennis this week, what with those two, uh, three setters. And yeah, almost could have been unbeaten if she'd have uh, won that last set tiebreak against mm. Pushkova. Um, I mean, Krejcikova has probably played the most uh, tennis, having been in the doubles and, and still in the doubles as well. Um, but yeah, Muguruza, first player to, to win against Contevate in, in seemingly a long time. But I think she was really pleased to um, to come through that. And she was the first player all week to actually manage to break Annette Contevate's serve. Mm. Um, I think she'd only... Um, you know, Contivate had only faced like literally a handful of break points in the, her first two matches and uh, Muguruza was able to uh, to break in the opening game, which, you know, set it up nicely for her. And a really nice um, change from that result in Moscow, which was a bit of a thrashing uh, <laughs> from Contivate. She wanted a bit of, she wanted a bit of revenge. And I also think, you know, she wanted to, she, she, she has come here very heavily motivated. And I think the crowd has certainly certainly helped her i think it's certainly helped other players as well we've seen sabalenka sort of orchestrating the crowd i feel like the the passion of the crowd and the passion that sabalenka shows on court is sort of a match made in heaven but certainly with muguruza as well um she's i think really really wanted to kind of send the fans home happy and i think that was one of her motivations really to yeah put things right with with contivate where you know you said they had that they had that bizarre match i don't know if muguruza was you know injured or you know her head was wasn't there and i think in wherever it was i think in in russia but um you know muguruza coming through i mean just talking about plishkova and krachikova who didn't go through i mean they had their own match which was again a very very bizarre match where Pliskova got bageled in the first set six love and then came through six four six four very terse handshake from Krachikova at the end I felt like she thought that Pliskova just you know was sort of faking it to begin with and then just sort of turned it on and it I think frustrated Krachikova but a very again another very bizarre match that you know for me Pliskova is one of those players that just you just don't really know what you're going to get and <laughs> yeah she could just sort of it's like turned off for one set and then it's just like turned on for the the next two sets. Yeah, she was a bit of a non-entity in that first <laughs> set and, uh, you know, a bit like the Wimbledon final, that first yeah. set, which was sort of like cringy at, at times, you know, to begin with. But um, yeah, she came through. I mean, it was, you know, two Czech players, but both of them, you know, are not going through to the semifinals. You know, unfortunate for 
for Czech players, but the Spaniards have come out on top. And and interestingly, you know, this group was, you know, half Spanish. Well, no, not sorry. This group wasn't half Spanish, half Czech, but we've got obviously they were the two nations with the most players, I suppose. And um, what with Bedosa going through from the other group, um, it's the first time that we've got two Spanish ladies Um in the semis, so there's that guaranteed, obviously, a Spanish uh, lady in the final, which is the first time, I think, since 1993 when Sanchez Vicario did that. Um, I have to say, Joel, just on a side note, I do like the names of the group, um, or the groups. We've got the Chicken Eats the group, and I may be saying that completely <laughs> wrong, and the Tenochtitlan group, um, both of which I think have, you know, historic links, to, you know, to Mexico. Contrast that to the ATP final, <laughs> yes. where, which we'll get on to later. Big and it's contrast. Red Big group contrast. and green group. Um, <laughs> you know, you'd think the ATP could have come up with something a bit more imaginative, maybe two figures from Italian in tennis perhaps but um anyway I digress um I mean let's look at the other group obviously saying Bedosa's gone through like you said she came through very comfortably against Sabalenka and Zachary straight sets you know she did a bit of a a contivate um you know very comfortable progress um you know I mean we've got this match now between Sabalenka and Zachary I would expect Sabalenka to come through that. She does lead their head-to-head 4-1. 4-1, yeah. Um, and I think she's won in straight sets, you know, the last few times they've played. But, you know, don't ever underestimate, you know, Zachary. And, and Sabalenka, I feel like, you know, she has been a bit up and down. That match with Shriontek was very, um, very sort of a bit of a whirlwind, you know, sort of did, did just kind of creep through. But um, I hope we get a good battle tonight. That's all I can say. Yes. And I mean, also Sabalenka's uh, first match, I mean, she just against Bedosa, I think she lost 6-4, 6-love. It was just, uh, it just got away from her very, very quickly. It was, it reminded me of the Sabalenka revolt where, you know, she's just spraying unforced error after unforced error, wasn't finding her range at all. And it just got, got away from her very, very quickly. It, I think it actually took Sabalenka, it literally took her about three sets of tennis before she turned up and she turned up I think right at the moment where it was like well are you either going to go home um early on as the the top seed or actually are you going to try and do something here and and potentially get to the semi-final so she really pulled it out of the bag at the moment she needed it most um in that Shviontek match and now we have this yeah interesting showdown between Sabalenka and Zachary I would also back Sabalenka to, to win this I think I think she will have enough firepower in her locker. I think if she can keep the, I mean, this, I feel like you'd say this with every Sabalenka match, but if she can keep the the unforced error count down, um, then you would certainly back her. I think it's been interesting to see how she also has been using the crowd. I think she loves the, you know, I think she loves the night matches more where, as I said, the capacity, the capacity crowd there, she's been geeing them up, feeding off that energy um, and that emotion from the crowd. And I think that's kind of really, really helped kind of lift her game um, at the most kind of crucial moments. I have no doubt that Zachary kind of can work in the, in the same way, but um, yeah, it will be an interesting one to see, but I th- I would expect Sab- Sabalenka to, to come through that. And, you know, we've also got obviously, Bedosa versus Sviontek, which is a dead rubber. But, you know, I think for Bedosa, I mean, she's just playing fantastic tennis. I think she will want to keep the momentum up in terms of having, you know, getting the, you know, getting the win. I don't, I don't feel like she'll want to kind of just, you know, sit on it and, you know, not play it, you know, and save herself for the semi final. I think kind of momentum will be key. So, um, you know, we'll see how that kind of progresses. I mean, Sviontek has not really done a lot this week she's been in seen her in tears at the net she's not I don't feel been able to kind of bring the game that she wants to play um and I also think 
that she's we've seen this week that there are elements of her game that when it comes to playing the best in the world it's not quite there yet and um i think that was one of the frustrating things i think just kind of seeing her particularly against sakari i mean sakari gave her a hug at the end of the match because she was yeah literally in tears but uh yeah i think she will look back on the season which you know it's been one i think of of there's definitely been a lot of successes there but i feel like she's put maybe a little bit too much pressure on herself we find her in these situations on court where i don't know you know we spoke about like you know her working with a sports psychologist but maybe she needs to find a way to kind of be a bit i don't know mentally stronger because at the moment it feels like we're seeing her i don't know in tears a little bit more on on the tennis court yeah although i think she did open up in her like post-match presser that um you know she's really struggling with pms symptoms and a lot of people have said oh you know that's it's good that she's come out and been really like refreshingly honest about that you know and I think she said that obviously Mm. she's feeling a bit more emotional having some perhaps some physical symptoms you know it can vary for so many different um women you know from month to month what what we get so um it may very well be be that you know more than more than sort of I mean obviously you'd come into this event very high expectations she's a grand slam champion you don't want to go away from your debut at this event like not having won a single match so hopefully against Bedosa she'll be able to kind of play pressure free you know just think well got nothing to lose let's just go for it and finish my season with a great match and um hopefully she yeah the pressure can kind of be off her and um but I thought it was, yeah it was, it's good that she's sort of come out and spoken openly about that and uh we need kind of we need more people to talk about that really because it obviously plays a massive impact you can't just you know I mean even just any any sort of health issue I, I don't know it's I find it very impressive when people can kind of put that to one side and step out onto the court and just focus on the match but I mean they are they are professional athletes but everyone's human um I mean so we've got you know a, a Bedosa Muguruza semi we've got a Contivate versus either Sabalenka or uh, Zachary semi are you going to make a tentative prediction, Joel, <laughs> as to, you know, after we know kind Ooh. of three or four semi-finalists, who is going all the way to lift that title? Oh, it's a tricky one, isn't it? I feel like the the form, the you've got to go with the form players, I think. And, you know, I'm sensing, yeah, I'm sensing, for some reason, I'm just sensing I could see Contivate coming through and Bedosa kind of just coming through. Uh, you know, I think... That for me very much could easily be the final. I think actually think Bedosa, the way she's playing at the moment, is making me think she could be a, a contender for the Australian Open come oh, wow. you know, come January. Given you know, given what I've seen from her, you know, I'd love to see her against you know Ash Barty in in Melbourne because I think she's playing some very very impressive tennis and she's playing you know she's she's playing these big matchups with um, you know some some real you know, real kind of fire and, and desire. And, um, you know, I was reading that she's now 20 and eight. So 120 lost eight against higher ranked opponents in, in 2021 after she beat Maria Sakri. So it just shows that she's able to kind of elevate her game, um, you know, depend, you know, regardless of, of who the player is. If they're playing, she's playing a higher ranked player. She's completely fearless about it. And I think maybe that might carry her through to the final. So I'm, I'm going to go for a, yeah, Bedosa. Bedosa Contivate final and maybe I've got Paola Bedosa winning it for some reason um, okay so yeah I know I know there's more probably celebrated names like Muguruza you know is one of my one of my fan favorites one I always make dreadful predictions for at the Grand Slams <laughs> so I'm going to stick away I'm going to stay away from talking about Muguruza and go for uh, another Spaniard in uh, Paola Bedosa 
yeah, I feel like I'm going to tempt fate perhaps <laughs> once more. And, and I might predict Muguruza for the final. I feel like it's going to be a Muguruza Contivate rematch again. I think they're going to meet again in the in the final. But I feel like Contivate might get the better of her, but it will be a close three-setter. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it, is, it is tough to predict. And just the Bedosa, yes, she has been beating higher-ranked opponents, but the higher she goes up the rankings... You know, the tougher that is going to mm. be to kind of carry on that uh, that upset. But that's a bold statement, really, Australian Open. I may be holding you to that in two months. Oh, are you going to remind me that when we make some? I am. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but let's move on to Linz now, uh, which is obviously a, the WTA event taking place in Austria, a 250 event on the hard courts. Uh, we were speaking last week about Emma Raducanu being the top seed uh, in this event, Simona Hallett being the second seed. Um, neither of those players won. Uh, in the end, it was the eight seed Alison Risk that came through to win her third career title quite a quite close final 7-5 in the third set against a uh, Romanian lucky loser Jacqueline Christian who was um the player who dressed up as uh Countess Dracula Dracula, yes yeah which we loved uh, in Transylvania (laughs) so um really nice to see her getting to a final after that I know recent escapade yeah, it was, uh, you know, it was a, it was a mad run really for, for Jacqueline Christian because she was a lucky loser and lucky losers, uh, in WTA finals do not happen that often. And in fact, um, you know, in the final, she was bidding to become the only the fourth lucky loser to win a WTA, WTA title. Last person to do that, strangely enough, was Coco Goff in Linz in 2019 so uh, I don't know I don't know why lucky losers seem to do well here but uh yeah she she did have a good big bit of good fortune then because you know she lost in uh you know final round of qualifying to to Serenko came through as a lucky loser and then Peterson in round two retired Halep gave her a walkover in the semi-finals so she had some you know she had some pretty nice uh pretty nice uh bits of luck I think happen along the way to get to the final but she was playing some very good tennis as well um you know she defeated Kudametova in the quarters 6-3 7-6 saved a bunch of uh break points uh en route to that victory so that was very very impressive from her but I mean let's just talk about Alison Risk because yeah she she's a player who I think is you know is one of those who is a very good tennis player but I've always feel like we talk about her when she has like injuries and those injuries tend to kind of knock her off her kind of schedule for quite a while and I think you know this season I think the first half of the season again injuries really did not allow her to play tennis but you know once she was able to kind of step foot on the court um, you know towards the end of this season she has been playing some pretty decent ball and I think she got to the the final of Porteros earlier on a few months ago where she lost to, to Paolini of Italy. Um, so I was quite glad to see her, you know, get to another final and, and come through and win because, you know, she does have a game, I think, that is, you know, very well suited, particularly, I think, to an indoor hard court. And uh, I think that's one of the reasons that got her over the line in, in the final um, against Christian. Yeah, we always sort of associate her with grass courts as mm. well. And actually, I think... Um... Well, I know she has won um, her Toggenbosch, but I don't, I think, you know, her other title was, was also on hard court. So she, she hasn't only won on, on grass courts by any means, but yeah, she's had quite a tough um, injury sort of strewn first half of the season. But since the US Open, she's been on, you know, pretty good, pretty good run really. And um, I think, yeah, like her, her experience did, 
probably come through. And, you know, she was fortunate that Danielle Collins retired in that semi-final as well. So both players getting into the final with a bit of luck. I think it was a pretty rubbish day on the semi-finals of one oh, second tennis. You would not have wanted a ticket for the semi-finals, would you? Absolutely not. Um, but yeah, I know, really pleased for Alison Risk. She's a very likeable player and I'm pleased for Christian getting to that stage for the first time in her career. And, you know, her game's quite exciting, quite aggressive, um, very powerful player. So I'll have to see if she can make the most of this opportunity and, and, and make inroads and, and perhaps she'll dress up again as well at some point in the near future. It was a bit frustrating because we had an all Romanian semi-final between Christian and Simona Hallett, which uh, could have been could have been quite interesting. Um, Simona Hallett did pull out with an injury. I know that I can sense from the Twitter message she put out how frustrated she was with that because you know, she's not won a title this year. And, uh, you know, she, I think she'll look back on this season pretty honestly as a you know a pretty ordinary season maybe even a season to forget and you know I think she would have been disappointed not be able to kind of step out on court and yeah taste you know taste victory uh, tournament because going into the season I don't think she would have expected to you know obviously be in this position so I think that was a bit you know obviously that would have been a bit little bit disappointing and then for British fans as well we had Emma Raducanu as the top seed um, and she lost to Wang of China qualifier um, in three sets. Pretty, you know, the Kim, the first set was like 6-1 to Wang. And I was just like, what is going on here? I thought this was just going to be a, you know, routine straight sets victory. But it just, again, shows Radikani has a, lo- a lot to learn, I think, on the, the WTA tour. Yeah, she's got to grind her way through tournaments. You mm. know, it's, I mean, perhaps she is just one of those players that's going to love the big stage and the big arenas and, you know, really struggle with these smaller events. But I mean, it's still very early days. She's still so young finding her feet that, you know, it's just frustrating. We want her to do really well. Um, and when you come up against, you know, a qualifier who's obviously way lower ranked than you, it, it's, it's obviously going to be frustrating. But, um, you know, I think it, it's all it's all good practice and experience. And I, I feel like we say that all the time. But I, I think, you know, perhaps if in you know years time, this is like still the case, we, we should start worrying. But I'm sure with each, you know, it's also the end of a, a long season that's been um, full of very emotional experiences especially of late so that just sometimes takes time doesn't it to um to truly deal with it so um I don't think we should be too worried um onwards and upwards and uh you know we'll look forward to seeing her I guess I guess next year when it all kicks off again um but yeah um let's talk I mean we've got so much going on this week Joel there's so many finals as well we've got three final finals to talk about um next gen finals happened also this week um in Milan and I mean this one you know this did kind of go very much to the form book we'll, we'll be getting on to the the ATP finals after our break but um let's talk next gen finals because you know we were kind of thinking it would probably be a, a battle in the final between Alcaraz and Corda um they are the two kind of top ranked players at this event with the you know most uh, I guess notable results on the ATP tour so far and that is you know what we had um we had a final between those two Alcaraz coming out uh, on top in in three straight sets yeah I mean it was uh very much yeah very very much to the form book and 
it was it was no it was no surprise was it i feel like regardless of what rules were in place what format it was in um we were always going to get carlos alcaraz versus seb corder in the final and the fact that alcaraz came through in straight sets against corder who you know was very he played a you know very decent few sets of tennis but alcaraz was just it just felt like he was on another level it just felt like he was on another level for most of the tournament i think you know he only dropped one set he just looked very, very good. And, you know, this was really, I think, the cherry on top of a breakout season for him. He has come on, you know, leaps and bounds, um, you know, since the, the very, very start. I think he was at 141 uh, in the rankings at the start of the year. And now he's at a career high number 32. So um, he's doing very, very well. And I'm I'm sure that if, if he is not seeded for the Australian Open, he's probably the number one player you absolutely do not want to be picking in, uh, you know, in the main draw because, yeah, he is playing some seriously, seriously good tennis at the moment. And, you know, what I think impressed me against Corder was his speed uh, around the court. His court coverage was just really, really impressive. And regardless of where Corder was hitting the ball, just Alcaraz was just... He's just running it down and sending it back with interest. And even if you thought Corder was hitting a you know good shot or getting into a good position, felt like Alcaraz just had an answer um, to what was what was being thrown at him. So uh, yeah, it was very very you know very very impressive from him. And yeah, I'd say pretty ruthless to be honest all the way through you know to winning the thing. Yeah, I think he should be seeded hopefully for the AO because he is up to thirty two in the rankings mm. now. Um, you know, he started the year at one four one, so it's been a very good rise indeed. And um, I'm already looking forward to the sort of matchups we may get at the AO, like Alcaraz against Kyrgios or something. Mm. I think that'd be great. Or an Alcaraz Sissipas rematch from the US Open. I'd oh, love yes. to see. That would be um, but yeah, there's going to be so many opportunities out there. Hopefully, uh, you know, to see these sorts of matchups. I'd like to see a rematch now between uh alcaraz and, and nadal because you know we've seen that happen on on clay this season i'd be i think it'd be fascinating to see that happen again next season to see you know just see how much he has come on um you know against against the best um but yeah it was uh you know it was a good tournament i mean just just talking about seb corder as well i think you know he obviously had a a very he's also had a very very good season you know had a very memorable performance at Wimbledon as well um the one thing I did notice though Kim when I was kind of watching his his matches is is he is he too calm and cool on a tennis court I I feel like he just sort of he does ooze class a little bit but at the same time I'm just a bit like whether he's a bit too passive and he doesn't isn't emotional enough maybe I know that's maybe not his his style or his brand but sometimes when I look at it on tv I just feel like he just like if if like Alcaraz hits a winner, for example, I just feel like he immediately accepts it and is like, oh well, you know, the better the better player won sort of approach. Whereas I feel like maybe he could, you know, maybe maybe that's something he could work on. I'm not sure, but he seems uh, he's very emotionless. I feel like on the on the tennis court. Is he the Plishkova of uh, <laughs> ATP tour? No, no. I feel like some players just, you know, they do have the fire in their belly, but they mm. just, you know, they don't articulate that so expressively. And, and you know, whatever works for you, I think, you know, he's doing very well. Uh, but perhaps it would be good to see him bringing that out if, you know, perhaps that would be helpful. But, you know, I think you've got to find your your manner and your path, haven't you? And I mean, um, they've both had fantastic seasons, obviously. And, and Brandon Nakashima got to the semi-final. He's had a great season as well. And, you know, did, you know, did go to five sets against Calder in the, uh, in the semi there. And I mean, I say set, obviously these are sets played to like the first four games. So it's all a bit 
bit weird on the old score lines, isn't it? Um, and then Sebastian Byers, who neither of us really knew an awful lot about, you know, also getting to the semi-finals. So young Argentinian player, definitely one to watch um, going into next season. Um, poor old Juan Manuel Serendolo <laughs> and Hugo Gaston. They they came away winless, which is never nice to see. Um, but I think it probably showed that Serendolo, yeah, perhaps his game isn't isn't quite as well suited to a you know fast indoor no. hard course. I think if it'd be like on clay, it might have uh, <laughs> resulted in somewhat different. <laughs> yes, yeah, no, definitely, and um, yeah, well, it'll be interesting to see how he, I guess, approaches his his calendar next year, whether he sticks to the clay or, or tries and and goes you know, and be and becomes more of a, a versatile sort of surf versatile surface player and really gives it a go on, yeah, hard courts, indoor courts, grass courts. Um because I think that's what again makes Carlos Alcaraz such an exciting and interesting prospect for, you know, certainly for next season is that you look at his game that it just feels like it is it it's yes, he is Spanish, yes, I'm sure that he was grew up on on clay courts, but you look at his game and you do think that it's very well suited to all the different surfaces out there. Um, and that's one of the reasons I think why he can just sort of go up, go up and up the rankings because, you know, there's going to be lots of opportunities, I think, for him, you know, from, uh, you know, next season for him to, to make inroads potentially at Grand Slams. Um, but all through the year, I certainly feel like he can be competitive with the game that he's got at the moment and with the team that he's got as well with, with Juan Carlos Ferrero in his corner, all that experience. It's just, it's just proving a very, just proving a match made in heaven at the moment. Absolutely. Yeah. No, I mean, I think um, Juan Carlos Ferrero has been instrumental and they've got a really mm. good bond and it's, you know, that's a lovely partnership and I, I hope they stick together and there's no some sudden coaching changes. <laughs> I can't imagine there would be, but I think, you know, he's such a, Almost like a father figure, isn't he? As well, you know, with Alcaraz being so young, so we're going to see always... Uncle. We're going to see Uncle Tony <laughs> drop uh, drop FAA and try oh, and <laughs> get well, in with uh, Carlos Alcaraz. Well, talking about FAA, you know, we were thinking perhaps, you know, this would, you know, Stockholm might be the oh, the tournament where he could finally yes. get his um his last um you know his his final title. Well, his first title after so many finals. Um, you know, he got to the semi finals but lost to Denis Shapovalov. Um, who in turn lost to Tommy Paul in the final. So Tommy Paul won his first ATP tour title, um, winning the Stockholm Open three sets over Denis Shapovalov, 6-4, 2-6, um, Tommy Paul was the guy that knocked out Andy Murray. And I was, you know, thinking when Andy Murray beat Yannick Sinner, oh, fantastic. He's only got Tommy Paul in the next <laughs> I round. He I easily know. beat him. Mm. Um, how wrong we were. <laughs> oh, I know, very frustrating. Although slightly reassured in a in a weird way at the same time that the person Andy Murray lost to then went and won the tournament um yeah I mean very very impressive from Tommy Paul I mean Americans um you know towards the latter end of this season of having a having a great time you know talking about well Nakashima getting to the the semi-finals in the the next gen finals we've also had you know Taylor Fritz Francis Tiafo got to a, the semi-final here took out um Dan Evans on route in a really weird scoreline one six six one six one um but um, yeah, Tommy Paul's just another another player. You know, he's only twenty four years old. Still got a lot of um, you know, a lot of time to go in his uh, career. He doesn't. He's certainly a player who I think has a lot of yeah. He's got very good prospects at the moment. I think he thinks that um, you know, he's won his first 
ATP Tour title, and he's now looking. I think he now is looking at his next goal as being kind of like the top thirty, maybe being a a seeded player for a Grand Slam coming up. But yeah, very very interesting player. Again, I think his court coverage in the final was very very impressive. I love that he was breaking out the the forehand slice as well, which you don't really see a lot of on the the ATP side of things. And um, yeah, he just seems a to be a guy who just does have kind of every shot available to him you know he, i saw a lot of variety there and if he i think if he's able to kind of keep the the unforced error count down he's a very hard player i think to kind of put away and i think denis shapovalov you know he was able to kind of bring it for one set but you know paul just proved too strong i think over the context of the whole match for shapovalov to go through and perhaps he got a little bit frustrated with how well Paul was, you know, covering the court and, you know, getting the ball back in play. Yeah, and Paul, you know, had a great week, really, beating, you know, TFO, mm. Andy Murray, Taylor Fritz. You know, Fritz and TFO have been in really good form of late. So some really good good wins in there. And, um, I mean, I, I do love, you've put, you've made a note here, Joel, um, that you think that Tommy Paul basically blinded everyone with his pink <laughs> shirt. And that's that's really the tactic. It is he, an awful uh, pig. It is ah! an awful pig. It I'm surprised it didn't crack my TV screen, Kim. It was, it, it, I, I personally would say it's fashion faux pas. Um, I but, mean, um, I think Rafa's worn that shade of pink yes, before. But... He has. I think he has. Maybe <laughs> he was trying to channel his inner Rafa um, with this like magenta, purple, pink, bright style top he was wearing. But yeah, not, not. I wasn't a fan of it, but. Um, it's a bit, um, it's a bit strictly come dancing, and I feel with the trophy, <laughs> it almost looks like a glitter ball without the sparkles. <laughs> so I've just, I really want that to, you know, him to be holding a glitter ball with that pink shirt. But um, no, he's had a great season, cracked the top fifty now. Um, he's had his top, uh, his first top five win this year. He has um, obviously won his first title. So all these sorts of milestones are being ticked off, and nice that he was able to, you know, get his first title in the last week of the season. He's, you know finally done it I'm sure that'll be a big relief and um, yeah I feel like again we say this quite a lot when a player wins their first title and starting to make a bit of a name for themselves but um, one to watch especially at the start of next year as we you know um, go down to Australia well yeah well I think you know that's that's the interesting thing about winning literally the last tournament on the ATP or in the tour season is that you know there's not actually that long to go until um, you know the season starts up again so you know he's finished the season on a high he can go back into his kind of training block work on a few things and then come out raring to go um, in Australia and again could be a could be a dangerous player to watch I'd be interested to see how you know all the Americans I think get on I think they've now got six Americans in the top 50 I think which is you know it's pretty it's pretty good going so you know i'd be interested to see how they how they go about themselves um you know when it comes to the hard courts in australia because it seems like they've got quite a few players now um you know not maybe not necessarily in you know closing in on that sort of top 10 spot but certainly you know with fritz tiafo paul they're all playing really good tennis at the moment so um yeah there'll be certainly ones to watch come the start of next season Absolutely. And let's take a quick break now, but do join us in the second half where we'll be having a look at the ATP finals, including possible uh, withdrawal from Matteo Berrettini. Uh, Joe Salisbury got the better of Jamie Murray there and also um, all the news regarding Peng Shui and where exactly she is. So do not go anywhere. (laughs) 
This is The Passing Shop with Joel and Kim, supported by DownloadTennis.com. Now we're going to move on to a bit of a quiz section as per Joel. I think we've got <laughs> half of the courts this week, which you, you're, uh, you've got up your sleeve for me. Yes, I do have a par for the courts for you. Now that the season has finished, I've been able to get a question for you that is to do with this season. Just looking back, maybe a little sneak peek of, uh, you know, what is maybe potentially to come with a passing shot end of season quiz um, further down the line. But um, yeah, I've got a par for the courts for you. It concerns WTA tennis. I feel like this should be, I feel like this is a bit of a banker for you, actually. I think you could do quite well here i'm excited by the end of season quiz that's coming up but um <laughs> enough of that we'll, we'll be getting onto that later um yes okay wta um depends what it is though joel what what is the category okay so i am looking for now i i painstakingly went through all the tournaments and looked this up so i want to know the 11 wta players who played in a masters 1000 final uh this season oh so dubai miami madrid rome montreal cincinnati and indian wells there are 11 wta players who played across those those seven events um and i'm looking for how many you can name and i'm gonna set the pass score at i'm gonna say seven i'm gonna be quite hard here Seven. I think I can do seven. I think that's okay. a, a realistic okay. uh, entity, and I think this is great revision for sort of <laughs> who's got to the latter stages of of the big mm. tournament. So, okay, yes. right, listeners, I hope you're with me on this, and you're going to shout out names as you're walking around. And Kim, extra brownie points if you can tell me which event. Oh, uh, it is doesn't and listeners as well. Extra brownie points there. Um, but yeah, where okay. uh, where are you? Where are you going first? So, what's your what's your number one? I am going to go to Dubai first, which mm-hmm. I believe was Garbina Muguruza and Barbora Krachikova. That is correct. Yes. So that's two already in the bank. So you give me two. So yeah, Muguruza, Krachikova. Yeah, Muguruza won that in Dubai. So yeah. Um, and then I'm going to go to Rome, which I think was very one-sided. I think it was Iga Shvontek, ba- double bageling Karolina Pliskova. <laughs> <laughs> yes it was yes it was six love six love um so yeah that's two more so that's four correct so far so three more to get par for the courts um so indian wells quite recently paula bedosa but mm-hmm. i can't remember who she beat <laughs> so just paula bedosa for now correct yes so that's five and then we had um, the other one that's really sprung to mind is Montreal, because I think that was Camilla Georgie winning that one out of the blue. Correct. Yes, Camilla Georgie won in Montreal. Yeah, everyone was a bit surprised by that. Um, she t- took time out from uh, taking photos of her fas- fashionable clothes on Instagram to yeah to win a, a Masters event. So yeah, Camilla Georgie. And then this is where I'm now struggling. <laughs> so you got what you need one more mm. to get par for the courts, Kim. So see, I think, I think, I feel like Maria Sakkari got to the Indian Wells final. Is that who Bedosa beat? But I'm not. Um, I've got, we've also got obviously Toronto and then uh, Madrid. Uh, oh, who won Madrid? Oh, that is tough. Um, 
Mm. And Miami. Did Miami. Um, Got Miami, oh. Madrid. No, Toronto was in Montreal, which was Camilla, oh, sorry, sorry. Camilla yeah, Georgie. Yeah. 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 Um, and is there another clay one? No, I think it's just Madrid and Rome for the women. Uh, I I mean, did Svitolina maybe get to a final? Who else is there? Um, did, oh, Ash Barty. Oh, Ash Barty won Miami, I think. Didn't she? Or was that last year? No, no, no. She wouldn't. She didn't play much party? last year. You yeah, Ash Barty. Ash Barty. Yeah. Ash Barty for par for the courts. Yes. Correct. Yes. yes. <laughs> Ash Barty is right. Yeah, she won Miami. Uh, she also won Cincinnati. Oh gosh. Okay. Um, Feels like so, such a long time yeah. ago. I, you know, that was a that was like the most obvious one. She has been in she, uh, three Masters finals this season. She won two of them, uh, and she got to the Madrid final as well. But she lost to someone who is at the WTA finals, uh, which you haven't said. Um, I'm just scrolling back up. <laughs> <laughs> is there anything on our on our reference script that will help me cheat at this? Mm. Um, uh, Muguruza, no, no. Uh, Contivate hasn't, hasn't. No, didn't win Madrid. Sabalenka, Sabalenka defeated Barty in Madrid. Yeah, they were playing quite a lot, weren't they, at that mm. time of the year? Oh gosh. Yes. Okay. So, I mean, any any other quick guesses? Um, I feel like Zachary got to the Indian Wells final. So, if you had told me Zachary, and if you had said to me Svitolina. You would have got a big va- no. Um, <laughs> both of those players did not reach oh Masters finals uh, in uh, 2021. So we could have had. Uh, so as you said correctly, Dubai was Muguruza defeating Krichikova. Miami was Ash Barty defeating Bianca Andreescu. Ooh, okay. Yeah, uh, we got Madrid, which, as I said, was Sabalenka defeating Barty. Rome, Sviontek defeating Pliskova. Uh, that double bagel. Montreal was also Georgie defeating Pliskova. Ah. So she's been a runner-up twice a season. And then the two other players who lost in Cincinnati in the Indian Wells finals. I'm surprised you didn't, you didn't remember this. Cincinnati, Ash Barty defeated Jill Teichman. <laughs> oh, that's really memorable, Joel. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, Indian Wells. I mean, I actually think this is memorable. I think this is actually one of the matches of the year. Uh, Paula Bedosa beat Victoria Azarenka. Oh, gosh, I'll say recent as well. I really should have got that. <laughs> but uh, but yes, you did get you did get par for the course. So. Well done, and you nearly you nearly tripped yourself up again at the final. I feel like you love getting to like one one from uh, path of the courts and then giving me a wrong answer. So I'm impressed you. Uh, yeah, I'm impressed you didn't fall into that trap and you went with the the obvious choice in uh, in Ash Barty. Yeah, exactly. I've got to play the strategy right. Um, but listeners, hope you managed to uh, do better than me, perhaps, as you played along with that one. <laughs> um, we've got a mailbag this week as well. Um, Dan has got in touch with us very kindly on email. Um, he said, hey, guys, love the show and loved you talking about all the new rules that are being trialed at the next gen finals. That got me thinking, which rule do you never want to see make it on to the ATP tour proper? So, oh, which rule do you never want to see? So, um, gosh, right. I mean, maybe we should run through what the the new rules were. We've had um, the, the timed toilet breaks. Mm. Um, One on, minute warm-ups. On-court coaching. Yeah. No, no ad scoring. One medical timeout. Yeah. I mean, for me, I think that for me, there is an obvious one that I don't want to see. 
I think there's a lot, obviously, I do want to see, but one absolutely I do not want to see, and that is for me, I think it's a Marmite topic for a lot of people. No ad scoring, Kim. I'm just not a fan of it. I just like, yes, I get that it, uh, you know, shortens, you know, it could shorten matches and maybe that makes scheduling easier for tournament organizers. And, you know, maybe it makes, uh, you know, it more exciting when it gets to, when it gets to juice for, for fans where it's just a, a sudden death point. But for me, you know, I feel like you have to, if you're getting to juice, you have to earn it a little bit more. And I feel like I want the, I still want advantage to be there because of that. And, um, you know, we've seen no ad in other contexts, you know, like doubles, for example. Um, but I really hope I, I've, I have a sneaking suspicion we may see it on the tour one day, but I really, for me, don't want to, to see it there because I just think it ruins one of the kind of nuances and strategy of kind of closing out a game and just, you know, I just don't think like shortening the game is always the, the answer. And, um, yeah, for me, no, no ad scoring is, is a, is a, yeah, it's something I, I don't particularly, not particular, it's not particularly a great fan of. So, um, yeah, I'm going to go no ad scoring as a rule. Yeah, I certainly don't want to see make its uh, introduction onto the uh, the ATP or even the, the WTA singles uh, circuit. Yeah, obviously we've got, you know, a variation of that in the doubles, which is fine, mm. you know, for, for regular tour events. But, um, no, I, I agree with that. I mean, for me, I would say the courtside coaching, you know, on-court coaching, they've uh, at the next gen, they were, you know, allowed to just kind of do mm. that uh, throughout, you know, from the sidelines. But I wouldn't want that to become a mainstream uh, sort of thing on the tour because I do think that a large part of the game, you know, is a player being able to have that strategy and have that ability to turn a match around without, you know, having to have that input, you know, constantly. And I just kind of feel that it may become a bit like a, I don't know, football or I'm imagining, you know, just sort of coaches you know just mm. continually having that yep. kind of feedback and it's a bit distracting in a way as well and you know I, I think you know part of it is is working out you know what to do for yourself and obviously you have that discussion with your coach before and after um I don't I think the sort of like they do on the WTA having the coach coming on you know every now and then I don't have a problem with that but I think you know opening it up from the sidelines is just perhaps a bit too much so yeah certainly I think that rule should stay at the next gen for now <laughs> but you know we wouldn't know unless you try these things so i think it's great mm. they use that as a test bed Definitely. all for yeah. that uh, but thanks dan for getting in touch always lovely to hear from our listeners and um to hear that you're enjoying the show as well so thank you ever so much um but let's let's go to turin now joel turin calling it's not london calling anymore first time in 12 years um that the atp finals are not in london at the o2 um, bit sad because this time of the year I'm normally rampaging around the O2, um, freezing my bum off in the sort of cold I know. Like, areas around the, we, the around we the O2. O2 as well. We met at the O2 as well. All those, we did. All those years ago at the, the World, at the World Tour Finals, which I keep telling myself I've got it on. I've got it like on a note next to me. Do not do not call World Tour Finals. Just call ATP Tour Finals. Um, but yes, we are we are entering. Interestingly, there has been a lot of chat on Twitter because obviously everyone was seeing this as like a, you know, this is a new opportunity for the Tour Finals to you know reinvent itself. Whether that's through branding or the you know the vibe and the the tone and the, obviously the new setting of it. But yeah, a lot of the a lot of comments kind of calling out the fact that it just feels like London in Turin and. You know, that sort of sparked a debate because I was a bit like, you know, don't, you know, don't, 
if it's not broken, you don't need to fix it. And, um, you know, I, I feel like we're in that situation where it feels quite, it feels quite similar. I mean, I get the court surfaces are, it sounds like it's a bit faster here than where it was in, in London, which I think was a little bit slower, but the whole kind of look and the, you know, the colors on court, I think even the, some of the music is the same as well. It does feel like it's a little, sim- maybe it's a little bit too similar to London. I'm not, I'm not sure. Are they playing London Calling by the Clash? <laughs> <laughs> no, they've just like taken London out and put Turin in. Turin Calling. Yeah, I'm not going to sing, but <laughs> I just, that's the first thing I think of is like the overuse of that song in London. But um, yeah, and just the green and red group. I mean, that's just unimaginative, uh, as I said earlier. <laughs> but it's only a small thing. It really doesn't matter at the end of the day. Uh, you know, there are more important things in the world. Um, we've had a few matches already. Um, we had the opening match, which was Medvedev and Herkaj for the season singles um that went three sets um i mean medvedev is sort of been landed in what some are calling you know the the group of death i don't know if that's quite accurate but it's certainly i would say the tougher group i think Djokovic, you know having sort of sitspas and rublev who are out of form and perhaps you know sitspas out of shape and rude as a you know debutante and, and lower ranked i think Djokovic has got a very smooth path through and um, Medvedev's got the the tougher matches with um you know especially Zverev and and Herkaj who you know certainly put up a bit of a fight um you know took the first set on a tie break and then Medvedev came through um so you know that was a that was a good match to open off the tournament uh you know Medvedev is the defending champion and Herkaj has been in pretty good nick of late um but yeah he was able to come back off you know after dropping that first set and uh to come through in the um in the end and then we had in the evening quite well a bit of a disappointing match really Zverev and Berrettini um Zverev won the first set on a a tie break and then Berrettini um retired uh due to picking up I guess an injury um it must have been fairly bad for him not to carry on a lot of word now is that you know Yannick Sinner is going to come in as the alternate but I don't think Berrettini has officially withdrawn just yet perhaps he's quite reluctant to as it's a home crowd out in Italy yeah, I think it was, I mean, he, I think he said it in, in his interview afterward, it was, it's, I think his saddest day in his tennis career, his head was just stooped down. And you can imagine the, you know, I think actually the biggest difference between the, the tour finals in London to Turin is the crowd atmosphere. Because <laughs> I think in London, it's a little bit more corporate and everyone's a little bit more kind of social, like a, I think a little bit more like a kind of a Wimbledon setting. Whereas in Turin, as you can imagine, the crowd is, I think, very much more passionate and and vocal and you know they were really loving that first set between Zverev and Berrettini I think it went an hour and 20 minutes um it was a very it was a very good high quality set of tennis um it was very unfortunate I think for uh you know Berrettini to suffer an injury obviously he had had a couple of injury problems I think earlier on in the season um I think post post Australian Open I think he didn't have to he had to withdraw I think from uh from Melbourne but um yeah really really disappointing stuff obviously imagine in front of your home crowd as well um it's yeah it was a bit it was a bit sad to see and you know it obviously meant a lot to him to say that you know this was his you know worst sort of his temp his worst his lowest tennis low I think in his career so far I think really kind of tells you the story so um I think the organizers are trying to give him as much time as possible I think they've moved his match to the night session um tomorrow I think tomorrow evening um just to see you know where his you know how his body has kind of reacted and whether there's any chance of him being able to continue but 
I get the sense that we're going to be seeing Yannick Sinner um, in the group stages uh, instead of him, which will be a bit of a surprise. But I feel like the, the, if that does happen, the, the silver lining, I guess, is that is one Italian for another. So hopefully the crowd will, if that does happen, the crowd will, um, you know, I imagine get behind Sinner as as they were um, against Berrettini, uh, with Berrettini even um, in his match against Zverev. Um, so yeah, it was very, it was very reminiscent actually of the, the Paris crowd with, um, you know, with Hugo Gaston. So, um, you know, I, I would expect to see that. And I hope we do have a really kind of electric atmosphere for these matches. Cause I do think that is one of the things that arguably could be, I think, improved on from London. I think, yes, in terms of an event and running it, London got that down to a T, um, but I wonder, yeah, with the, the Italian crowd, I feel like can add a little bit something different that can potentially bring this tournament a bit further than maybe it was in, in London. Absolutely. And um, today we've had Novak Djokovic against Kasper Ruud, which was, um, yeah, fairly, fairly straightforward. You know, Novak winning in straight sets. But, you know, Kasper Ruud got an early break in the first game. Um, and then, you know, unfortunately, um, threw in a double fault uh, later on, sort of three all Djokovic break back won the first set on a tie break and then, you know, did what he absolutely does and just kind of like storms through the second set very comfortably, really. And um, I think, you know, that's a, a great opener for for Novak. I think he's going to, you know, I can't see him slipping up, to be quite honest with you, until the final, possibly. Um, surprisingly, though, I didn't realise this. Djokovic hasn't won this event since 2015, Um which I I'm quite shocked by. Um, I just I know he's won it a lot, um, but it's been a while, and I'm sure he'd love to get his hands back on that trophy. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, the the match against Rude was yeah that second set was a bit of a formality, but it was sort of interesting in that tiebreak because I think one of the weaknesses of Djokovic this season has been his tiebreak record. I think going into this match, he was eleven eleven. Um, in tie breaks this season so it felt like it was a little bit kind of on edge and I was actually impressed with with Kasper Ruud because he saved a couple of set points in order to take it to a tie break and um, you know he definitely is not just a clay court player which I feel like a lot of or you know some people sort of pigeonhole him into he does know how to play on other court surfaces as well and I think I was, was quite impressed at and a little bit surprised I think with how well he was matching Djokovic um, in that first set but you know as you as you saw with the kind of second set second set scoreline six two, you know he really did sort of I think run out run out of answers, run out of momentum, and I think losing that first set deflated him a little bit. And Djokovic was just able to to pounce at the start of the the second set and and run away with it. So yeah, I do kind of feel that you know this this is this is arguably Djokovic's to lose. Um, you know, he will want to, he will want another one of these. Um, and it is a bit surprising that he has not won one since 2015, but certainly I think he, you know, this was a good tester for him. Um, you know, and, and given, I think the only, maybe the only, the only sort of concern maybe is that, you know, is he going to get a really competitive match in, in this groups, in this group stage? Cause you're just not, you're just not sure in terms of how fit Sissipas is, whether that's going to be the, you know, the match that is going to, um, you know, really, really test him. Because if it isn't, I could see him going through this tournament potentially unbeaten. 
Yeah. Oh, no, absolutely. I mean, for my final, I've got a Djokovic Medvedev, you know, final lined up, um, which I feel that many people will will have that on the on the on the cards. I think, you know, if so, that could be a fantastic final. So I'd be pleased with that. Um, but it does look quite almost a formality. But, you know, there may be a few, a few spanners thrown in the works. I mean, from the from a British perspective in the doubles, you know, both Joe Salisbury and Jamie Murray are there. Um, they actually played today. Um, Joe Salisbury coming out on top with Rajiv Ram in straight sets over Murray and Suarez. So um, hopefully they could both creep through um, their group and, you know, um, get get through to the semis. But hopefully, if not, you know, one of them will be there. And uh, Joe's come out on top in the Battle of the Brits. Yes, I've yeah, exactly. And uh, yeah, my I got my predictions. Yeah, I've got Djokovic Medvedev final um i do think it might be a medvedev rude semi-final djokovic zverev uh semi-final so um yeah i'm i'm expecting yeah kasper rude to be the player who maybe is a bit more of a take that second spot in in the djokovic group but um i certainly can't see it not being another rematch of the you know the paris masters final between djokovic medvedev and i probably would expect the same the same result as well um with with djokovic winning yeah, uh, unless Zverev can throw in a, an Olympic mm. upset again, but uh, yeah. <laughs> we will see about that one. Um, just before we leave uh, today, um, we do have to touch upon the shocking news that came out um, of uh, came out of China on social media. Um, Peng Shui, um, who many people may remember, um, former world number one in doubles, also got to a career high of fourteen in the singles. Um, she um, made a well, an allegation on a Chinese social media site that um, she was forced into a sexual relationship with uh, the vice premier of China, um, who served between 2013 and 2018. Um, Now, that statement was taken down um, from the site. um, But obviously, there's, you know, this is obviously a very serious allegation, you know, with especially concerning a very um, key figure in in Chinese politics. you know, this was obviously coming out, you know, in light of, I guess, all the Zverev stuff from the ATP. So um, everyone was looking towards the WTA, you know, what are they going to say about all of this? Um, are they going to try and get involved? It's it's, it's quite awkward um, because it's obviously events against a very senior political leader in China. And, um, you know, what with certain, you know, freedoms um, and lack of over there, it's it's very difficult um, difficult statement and, and Peng Shui has actually said you know she doesn't have the the proof or the evidence to back up her claim so whether it's going to be going uh, any further um, the WTA have come out and made a statement um, commending her for her courage and strength in coming forward and um, you know sharing this and that obviously she and all women deserve to be heard and not censored um, and that we have to treat it with the utmost seriousness. Um, since then there has been quite a bit of Activity on Twitter with a hashtag, you know, where is Peng Shui trending? I think a lot of people were worried for her safety after this came out. But um, I mean, the good news is that the WTA, I think, have said that they have checked in with her and that she is um, she is safe and not under any threat. Um, I just hope that that is that that is correct, because obviously there was a lot of concern or there still is that she's sort of gone missing as a result of this statement. Yes. Um, yeah, it's not been, it's been a story that's been sort of bubbling, I think, over the last kind of couple of weeks, you know, since that allegation came out on Chinese kind of social media. Um, but it's been, I think, great to see kind of the sort of unity, I think, in response from 
from people, you know, from tennis players. I've seen tennis tournaments as well, talking their support for her, as well as the WTA. And, you know, it's obviously these are kind of different cases, uh, you know, with her and obviously the, the Zverev allegations with the, you know, the ATP. It's interesting to see the, I think, the re- the reaction and, you know, how long it is, has taken, I think, because for the WTA, you know, it's come out quite swiftly, I think, in comparison to kind of how, you know, the ATP, I think, handled the, the Zverev situation uh, or hard handling that the Zverev situation now I feel like there is you know there's going to be more to kind of play out on this and of course we want to hope that Peng Shui is safe and um you know has all the support she she gets and you know she doesn't feel threatened or in a dangerous kind of situation but this certainly does raise questions I think for the WTA and their their relationship their business relationship with with China which you know, for a lot of fans will know is a big, you know, it's a big part of the tour is a big part of that Asian swing. There are lots of tennis tournaments that take place um, in China. And it was, it was interesting to hear WTA CEO, Steve Simon say that, you know, if at the end of the day, we don't see the appropriate results from this, we would be prepared to take that step and not operate our business in China, if that's what it came to. So, you know, he's not kind of mincing about with his words there. You know, he's, he's, this is a very serious allegation and, and situation. And, you know, it, it could lead to potentially a, a change in how the the tennis calendar, the tennis calendar looks. It, it just kind of remains to be seen at the moment. But I think, you know, right now, we just hope that obviously Peng Shui, wherever she is, that she's safe. You know, she's safe from, you know, from this, you know, from from whatever happens, because, it's a you know it's a big thing to come out to come out and say this and i think she deserves a lot of commendation in terms of having the having the balls having the confidence to come out and say this in the first place yeah um because it's obviously been going on um you know for a while which it's obviously um a, a massive massive thing you know and um i think it's the first time that really there's been perhaps you know public allegation so you know in china itself it's obviously very notable a moment so um but yeah absolutely our, our thoughts are with her and we hope that she is safe um whatever and wherever you know wherever she is um hopefully uh, we can get kind of confirmation like officially of that as well um yeah not not nice news to end today's episode on joel um but we will be back next week and if there is any further news we'll be discussing that and we'll be rounding up the ATP finals as well um this time next week yes we will be back we will have the ATP finals and of course we have the Davis Cup as well Mm. uh to look forward to so we still have uh, more tennis to kind of look back on and to look forward to as well um just to remind everyone as well, we are coming up to the end of the season. And uh, at this stage last season, we launched our very first crowdfunding campaign uh, to help kind of pay for all the costs um, to support the, the Passing Shot Tennis podcast. We will be doing a similar crowdfunding campaign this season. Uh, it will go live after uh, the end of the 2021 tennis season. So it will be, a, it will be live all the way through to, through December. It would be great um, if our listeners could help contribute to that. We will be putting out rewards like we did uh, last season in exchange for your contributions. So if you are able uh, and are in a position to help support the uh, podcast um, with any sort of donation, we would be really, really um, happy to <laughs> happy to have that. We are kind of crowdfunded. That is our sort of main income to help support all the costs for the show. So, um, yeah, 
we are we are kind of announcing it now and there'll be more more information on our crowdfund as we get kind of closer to the end of the season but just to put it on people's raid radar um yeah the passing shot tennis podcast crowdfund will be back and uh, yeah we hope you can support us uh, for it for the new season in 2022 Absolutely. Um, we really appreciated so much everyone who contributed to our crowdfunder um, at the end of last season. It was an absolutely fantastic um, to see all your support and to get that contribution. So um, we do hope that as many of you as possible will be able to contribute again uh, this year as well. But for now, listeners, I hope you've enjoyed listening to this latest catch up with The Passing Shot. Remember to subscribe to us on your podcasting platform of choice, whether that's Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Overcast, CastBox, Stitcher and all good podcasting platforms out there. You can also listen to us on the DownloadTennis.com app. And if you want to show your support for the show, then why not leave us a rating and comment on Apple Podcasts? And you can follow us on social media. We are on Twitter, Instagram and Facebook under the handle at Passing Shot Pod. Uh, you can also email us PassingShotPod at gmail.com or check out our website www.thepassingshot.co.uk. And we will be back next week at Passing Shot HQ for the next round of tournaments on the ATP and WTA tours. How will Novak Djokovic get on at the ATP Tour Finals? Will Paula Bedosa defeat Garbina Muguruza to get through to the finals in Guadalajara? We will soon find out, but I hope you can join us for our next catch up and we will see you again soon. 